I am so thankful to be able to come and worship with you today. And I'm so thankful to all of you who led us musically and, and Jeff, Leo, and talking to us about the Reformation and Dana for reading God's word. Just love being here in the life of our church. I hope you do as well. Well, we're in our Heart Cries series of messages. And, and this morning, I think we're going to be talking about the heart cry that is the most common one among us as human beings and including us who go to church, namely that heart cry to be able to start again, uh, to know cleansing, to experience forgiveness. You know what I'm talking about. When you and I look inside and see that we still are not right with God fully and, and, and we've done wrong, and especially when some of the things that we have done become public and others find out about them, sometimes we just feel inside as if we can never start again. So many times there are people who just feel like their lives are, are ruined, including those who go to church. Now, today we're going to be looking at the most dramatic biblical story about a person who really loves God, but who at the very same time has this heart cry to be forgiven. It, it's the very familiar story, even if people don't go to church very often, it's the very familiar story of King David when he had had that affair with the beautiful woman named Bathsheba. Now, now, if you read in other parts of the Bible, it tells us when this happened. It happened in the spring of the year. It's a time King David should have been at war, but this time he didn't go. I can just imagine his, uh, his army telling him, you don't need to do it this time. You don't need to be here this time, King David. We can handle this one. You need a break. You, you need a little vacation. But at the same time, I don't know if you're aware of this, in all of the ancient stories, uh, romances began in the spring. Spring was the time when a man's passions and emotions turn and turn and turn and often turn in the wrong direction. And, and if you couple that with the fact that at the time, David was middle-aged. I hate to tell you guys who are middle-aged here, but many people tell me that that is a dangerous time for a man. In other words, this was a vulnerable period of David's life, and you know what happened. The temptation came, and he gave in to that moral danger. He was on the top of, of his palace. He saw the beautiful Bathsheba from that palace in the time of temptation and weakness. He sinned. I, I won't go into that very much, except I think that the worst thing about the story is the pathetic way that David for so long tried to cover it all up. Um, he found out that Bathsheba had become pregnant. He decided he would call in her husband Uriah back from the, from the battleground to try to trump up some, well, yes, she's pregnant, but, but Uriah was here. That's what happened during this particular time. You can imagine what he was trying, but Uriah, being a man of honor, would not go in to his beautiful wife when his uh, colleagues were out there fighting a battle so he didn't go. So, oh, David's plan was thwarted, so he had to come up with another one. I, I just imagine him thinking, that the noose is getting tighter, and thinking, oh, my reputation's going to be ruined if people find out about this. And, and actually, the whole nation is going to be troubled by this. I've got to do something. And so he came up with this plan, awful plan, of getting Uriah out uh, on the for forefront of the battleground. And really what happened was he was engaged in the murder of, of this man Uriah. Uh, the bottom line of all of this is that David's lust 
turned to adultery, and adultery turned to the lies and deception and cover-up, and the lies and deception and cover-up turned to murder. And it's, it's a powerful example of that frightening thing that you and I all know about, that when we engage in evil, we think that we just did one thing, that it's not going to go, but it goes beyond that. One sin always begets another. But, but David didn't think that that may continue on because the time went on, at least nine months, and maybe much later, eventually he got married uh, to, the, uh, to the beautiful Bathsheba. Uh, he was continuing to be king. He's going about his daily life, showing up, I'm sure, at worship together with God's people, but inside was all of that junk that was still there and that he thought, he thought, it's over, that's gone. I've been wondering as I've been thinking about this message, how many people go to church with that sort of thing happening inside? That we come and we try to look our best, but deep inside you know that there are all sorts of issues happening, junk inside that is still there and yet you kind of try to cover it up. Uh, maybe, like David, affairs among those who show up at church. Maybe it's an addiction to pornography. Maybe it's lies and deceit. Maybe it's outbursts of anger. I, don't you think David surely is not the only one who showed up for worship and was really covering up all sorts of things in his heart, do you think? And he thought he'd gotten by with it. But that all changed one day, and you know the reason, because someone knew. God knew. So what happened one day was David's good friend, the preacher, Nathan, came and told this story. You can read about it in other parts of the Old Testament. Told this story in which there was a man who had done awful things, and Nathan turned to David and said, what should happen to that man? And David said, that man must be punished. And do you remember what Nathan said to him? David, you are the man. I'll tell you, at that time, what happened to David is what happens to all men and women of God who still have a conscience about us. Some people's consciences become seared, I know, but almost all people who have any kind of a conscience, whenever this sort of thing happens, his emotions were flooded, and he had to face the fact that he was a sinner. Today, I, I think as we, we come here today, um, you and I have to face this. I, I've written this out for you to, to think about. David wasn't the only one who had gone through this. The place, place where people part company in the sight of God is not on the issue of whether we have sinned, but on the issue of whether we've actually experienced forgiveness. I'll tell you one of many wonderful things about being a follower of Jesus is this thing that on one side it's painful when we have to open up and, and, and really acknowledge what has happened inside and we bring it to God and then at the very same time find out the God against whom we have sinned turns to us and said, I've known about it all along and I am ready to forgive you and to start again. Hallelujah. It's what has drawn many people to, to faith in Jesus over the many centuries and in all, in all parts of our world. 
that we have to own up to what is inside. We can do that. We can be transparent and be people of integrity and say, this is it, Lord. And he says, I will take it and cast it as far as east is from the west. So when David experienced not only that he had to confess it, but he had experienced forgiveness, he wrote this song that Dana read to us in Psalm 51. Now, you've got to make note of this. He is here, this this man of God, uh, is here on his knees begging for mercy. Uh, But as we look at this, uh, we've got to see that the Bible didn't put that text here to make us gloat about David. Sometimes people wonder, why does the Bible tell us all the bad parts of its heroes' lives? It wasn't put here so that we can gloat about it and think about how bad he was. Still less is this text in the Bible uh, because uh, we can say, oh, well, no matter what I've done, I'm not as bad as he was, so I must be okay. I'll tell you why this text is in the Bible. Because like David, we have sinned. And like David, we need forgiveness. And the Bible proclaims to us that forgiveness is available. And as we gather in church, we know on what basis. On the basis that Jesus took the punishment for our sin on the cross and offers to all who are in him forgiveness, cleansing, and eternal life. The pervasive message of the Bible is this, that God's mercy and grace are greater than your sins. Do you believe that? And the Bible tells you today as you have come to church, I don't know what's inside. It tells you that cleansing and a new beginning are available to you through Jesus Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this poem that David wrote. It is so simple. All week as I've prepared the sermon, I've tried to make my message simpler. I thought, always, oh, that's too obtuse. That's, because it's so simple. There are just three parts, three sections of the, the poem. Verses 1 through 6. David just has to open up and tell God what's there. He has to be honest about his sin. He confesses that I've called it an inward look. Then in verses 7 through 12, he looks up to God with all of this and brings his life to God and finds that God is ready to cleanse him. I've called it an upward look. And then being so excited about the fact that God has said there's a future for you, David, he has an outward look in which he just has to sing praise and he's got to go out and tell other people, Hey, if there is hope for me, there's hope for anybody. (laughs) So that's what this is all about. But I'm going to say more about it anyway. Okay, phase number one begins with an inward look. Verses one through six. At the very middle of this is this phrase. God, I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Now listen to me. According to the whole of the Bible, an experience of forgiveness begins with confession that always leads us to turning away from the sin to what's called repentance and turning to God. And and what confession demands of you and me is this ruthless self-examination. David needed to do that. And honesty about what we've done. But too many times we try to cover stuff up. Uh, You may know the, the story of Oliver Cromwell, Great Britain, who uh, was having his portrait painted, and the uh, portrait artist turned to him and said, "Um, you have all these uh, flaws. (laughs) Do you want me to get rid of them? And do you remember what Cromwell said? Have you ever heard this story? 
He said, I want you to paint me as I am, warts and all. I have, I have a copy of the, the uh, you can see up here. He did have a few warts. Do you see that? Now, here in 21st century Southern California, we don't like to have the scars and the flaws and the warts there. We, we try to cover them up in any way we possibly can, right? Uh, we, we, uh, so I think we would have our portrait, you know, either photoshopped or brushed, <laughs> you know, brushed out somehow. You understand that. But what we often try to do to the external, making ourselves look better than we do, too often we try to do it with our inner lives too. You, you know how it is. When your conscience starts to bother you about something that is there, you and I try all sorts of, I'll call it moral cosmetics, to cover up what's inside. Sometimes we just make excuses. Uh, other people, it's because of my upbringing. Sometimes we just deny that really that has taken place. Sometimes we just rationalize and look around and say, I think the other people here in church are, are worse than I am. It doesn't work, of course. I, I think you and I may deceive ourselves for a while, but that doesn't last. Someday we know we've got to change this. We may deceive those around us or think that we have. I often think others know much more about us than we think they know. But we might be able to. But at the end of the day, like David, you and I will never deceive God. Now, now here, here's going to be the hardest part of the message. You've, you've got to be with me here. The reason for this is when we do wrong, the guilt that is there is real. This is a really important thing to understand. Because often we think of guilt simply as being a feeling. We've got to get rid of guilt feelings. But the Bible uses the word guilt in a very different way. Now listen here. Uh, there is such a thing as false guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty for things that have long since been confessed and forgiven. But we just can't let go. God has thrown those away. Others have forgiven us too. But we still feel that way. That's false guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty for things that are not guilt worthy. But the Bible talks about guilt in a different way. It says it's something that's very real. It, it's, it's what happens when we have truly engaged in doing what is wrong. And the way the Bible puts it is, when you and I live in ways that are not in keeping with the way our maker has made us to live and told us to live, then we become guilty. Um, I don't have to say much about this because most of us still have a conscience. And I'm sure even as I open up a topic like this, you, you feel these sorts of things inside. That, that conscience that, that sort of comes alive in you when you acknowledge that there are things that are wrong in your life comes about because you're made in the image of God. And a part of being made in God's image is that you are meant to live in ways that reflect the goodness and morality of our maker himself. Are you with me here? The kinds of things that are embedded in the Bible. And, and when you and I don't live the way God has made us to live and has told us to live, this conscience that is inside of us is something that God has given us sort of as a detector to help us to know that's not right. That's not how you're supposed to live. When we continue to do what is wrong, real guilt comes because we don't live as God has commanded us to live. And that's the word that's used in verse 14. If you look at it, David admits to doing bloodshed. It really is blood guilt. 
The guilt is, is a part of us. It's something that is there. And the way the Bible puts it and the way that David writes it about it here is it's got to be removed. The guilt has to be cleansed away because it's wrong. And God is the only one who can cleanse it and remove it. When you understand that, and only then, can verse 4 make any sense to you. So I'm going to show you that phrase. David says, against you, you only have I sinned. But you know he sinned against Bathsheba, right? You know he really sinned against Uriah. <laughs> you know that, right? So what is he talking about here? The word really is this. Against you, God, foundationally at the heart of every time that I sin is the fact that I have turned away from you. If I'm going to find forgiveness, I have to acknowledge that. And when you look at David, you'll see that every sin that he committed against himself or against other people really started because he was not living the way God would have him to live. You look at the Ten Commandments and you see he had coveted someone else's wife. You see that he had not told the truth. You'd see that he even took the life of another person who was made in God's image. So at the end of the day, even though he had surely wronged others and had wronged himself, at the end he knew this, that the foundation, the ultimate sin was always against God. I, you, you've got to come to grips with this if you're going to experience forgiveness. In our society, so many times when you think about guilt, people talk about you and I letting ourselves down. And we do let ourselves down. Especially, and I hope you don't have much of this, if you have any of the perfectionistic tendencies that your senior pastor does, you let yourself down. And... Uh, Sometimes we talk about guilt as being uh, us leaving, uh, letting other people down. And I'll tell you, you and I let other people down <laughs> and sometimes hurt them uh, when we do. But I think that's not how the Bible uses the word guilt. Letting ourselves down and letting others down is really much more the way it uses the word shame. Sometimes shame for something that is not necessarily wrong. But David knew he had done wrong. He had sinned genuinely by disobeying God. He was guilty before God. He needed that guilt to be removed. So if you realize, are you with me here still? That at the end of the day, all true guilt comes about because you are not living the way God has created you to live. Then and only then do you know where to start when you want to be cleansed. You must start by coming to God and having your life made right with God. Now, don't misunderstand me here. When you fail to live the way God wants you to live, it will hurt you personally. Sometimes you don't see it at first. You say, no, 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 it's been better for me because I wanted to live that way. But ultimately, just believe me, it will hurt you. And you hurt all of those who are around you as happened with David. But if you've come this morning with a heart's cry for forgiveness, then the starting point for finding real forgiveness for real guilt is to turn to your maker. I'll tell you, until you start there, uh, there's not going to be any victory over your sin. 
When you become right with him and only begin living that way, then you go out and begin to make right things with other things right with other people. So here was David. He knew his sin had wrecked his life and wrecked his family and wrecked Uriah's family and wrecked Bathsheba's family, but it had all happened fundamentally. He said, I know God because I've turned away from you. So for me to find forgiveness, I've got to own up to what's inside before you. Um, illustration here. I've, I've used this before, but I, I think it's a good one. You know, I had a Bible study with 12 physicians for about two and a half years. Uh, one of them was a surgeon, a good friend. He lived where I did. We drove all the way from Pismo Beach to uh, San Luis Obispo to get to the Bible study. He had five beautiful daughters. Well, one of them or all of them were always in trouble. So, so when, we, when, we, when uh, he would pop in my car, I'd get into his, he would just start talking about one of them and all the trouble and all the problems that were there. And, and then all the way back, we'd talk about probably another one. And then as I would get out of the car, he would say, well, but we know, Greg, at the end of the day, she has a spiritual problem. She, she's not right with God. Now, I'm sure he had told his daughters that over and over again, and it drove them nuts. But I'm telling you, he was right. He was right. And that's what, that's what David was saying here. So think of it this way. Bathsheba might have said, oh, David, what you did doesn't matter all that much. You know, I'm glad he's gone. It's a lot better living in the palace than where we were living. Uh, Uriah's own family might have said, he's, he's been a problem since he was a kid. None of us really liked him that much. David, you're a good man. You're a good king. Just forget about it. His therapist might have said, David, it's because you had a distant father. <laughs> you know, he sent you out there with those sheep when you were a little boy <laughs> while he spent time with your brothers. It, yeah, you're a victim of this, David. <laughs> just just don't, don't let it bother you. But those things would not have given him what he needed. Real cleansing for real guilt. Why? Because in the end, it was against God that he had sinned. And David knew it. So in the second part of verse 4, he said, God, you're right when you speak against me. You're justified when you judge, no matter what anybody else said. This is where you've got to begin when you have a hard cry for forgiveness. Even now, if there are things you brought into church that are inside, will you begin your time of confession bringing those to God, bringing those to God? When you do, that's where the start, the start is for you experiencing a new beginning, which takes us to the second uh, phase of this. So knowing what was inside, all, these, all this junk, he had this upward look to God. Look at verse 7. I love this phrase. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. So you've got to confess your sin. You've got to look inside. But you can't just stay there. You, you can't just wallow in what's inside. Haven't you found sometimes that when people start to acknowledge all these things that are wrong inside, sometimes that becomes a way of life. You know, we just get a lot of satisfaction with telling people how bad we are. It's kind of like Eeyore, you know, woe, woe is me. I'm, I'm so much worse than everybody else. But according to the Bible, you look inside yourself to discover and then to uncover 
what's hidden there. But I'm telling you, it's not inside that you and I find the cure. If you just keep looking inside, you know, you, this downward spiral happens and your life becomes consumed with self-pity. The way out of guilt is to look upward, straight into the eyes of the very one you've sinned against. Confess your sins to him. You've got to ask God to forgive you. Uh, one of the things just to see in this poem, and I hope you'll read it more often when you go home, is in verse 7, how the verbs change. Uh, in verses 1 through 6, they're all, they're all verbs of admission. Lord, this is what I've done. Uh, from verses 7 and on, they become words of petition. Cleanse me, God. Wash me, God. Let me live again, God. Restore to me, God. Create in me a clean heart. Now, there's so much that I'd like to say about this, but I, I thought, boiling it down, there are two essential parts of finding the cleansing that we see here in these verses. The one is, David asks for something big. The big thing he asks for and if I can summarize what he asks for, he asks for both cleansing and renewal. Cleansing and renewal. As Dana read, did you notice that interesting word, the use of hyssop? And I'll be clean. A hyssop was what the priest would use whenever a person had had leprosy being eaten from the outside in. And then, for whatever reason, the work of God, the person had become healed, clean. Coming into the priest then, the priest would take hyssop, and it meant these two things. You are now clean, and you can go back into the community and live again. That's what David asked God for. His life was being eaten not from outside in, but from inside out. It was, it was like leprosy on the inside. He said, Lord, will you come and clean me up? How can you do it? Will you restore me to me the joy of my salvation again? Verse 12, I love it. He wanted to dance with joy again. He said, God, if I can just know that you have accepted me and forgiven me, I'll dance with joy again. What I've been praying about today is maybe if some of us will experience here, we can have a Lake Avenue Church dance team. Whether we're any good or not, it will be filled with joy because what leads to real dance before the Lord is when you hear him say, your sins I will remember no more. Put it behind you, for I have put it behind you. That's the big thing that David asks for. It's, it's no small request. Look at verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And then this phrase, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Lord, I've tried to break this pattern before and I haven't been able to. I need something more than just my own strength. I need you because he saw that these things that he'd engaged in from Bathsheba on, it wasn't just one little slip that he'd done once. It had been a pattern of life that had been there for years. It's always that way, isn't it? Often when we engage in a moral fall, you can trace that thing back and see that your whole thought life, sometimes from, from your childhood or middle school or high school years, has been going in that direction. It isn't just a small thing. It has to be uprooted out of your inner being. You have to almost become a new person, and that's what happens. But you've got to ask God for that big thing. I, I pray that you'll do so knowing this, that God is both willing and able both to cleanse you and to restore you. Both of those things. He's able to do it. Do you believe it? And he's willing to do it. 
God can forgive even something like lust that led to adultery, that led to murder. You've got to turn to God. You've got to ask him for it, but God can do it. You must learn to ask for that big thing. I pray that you'll do that even now. And then the other thing is, notice the faith, the confidence with which he asks for this. Do you see the first verse in verse 13? After pleading with God to cleanse him, he uses this word, then. I'll go out. When you've done it, Lord, I'm going to go out and I'm going to teach others about your ways. I'm going to sing praise to you. Then. That means he's certain that God is not going to cast them away. How can he say that? It's because he knew the character of God. He knew that God loves to forgive his children. Do you know that? It's not something you have to get down and say, God, I know you don't want to do it, but this is what I want you to do. No, God wants to do that long before. He just wants you to come to him. Are are you with me here? This is the kind of God that we worship. I love, too, this word restore to me the joy of my salvation. That means... There was something that David had experienced earlier on in his life. I'm guessing in those years when he was that shepherd boy where his walk with God was so intimate. And then he'd walked away from God, but he'd had a real relationship with God. It's it's like your first faith. Maybe you can remember that today. You remember that and you say, Lord, restore that. In other words, he already knew something about God. He'd expressed it in the very first verse. God, you're a God of unconditional love. And you are a God of grace. Knowing that God was that, he knew that when he came to God, that God, kind of like a, a loving parent whose kids have run away from home and then comes back home and you say, just welcome back again. Why did it take you so long? That's what God does when we run. He receives us into his arms. You've got to quit hiding what's inside. But when you look into the eyes of God for forgiveness, you'll find that his grace is greater than your sin. Which leads us into that phase three, when you've experienced it. When you've experienced it, then it changes everything. Verses 13 to 19, and especially this phrase, open my lips, God. My mouth is going to declare your praise. Look at verse 17 with me also. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. I know this, God, a broken, contrite heart, God, you will never despise. You won't throw that stuff back up in my face again. So when you look into your heart, phase one, and see what's there, you bring that and look up into the eyes of God and you see his love. If if you're not hard-hearted, your heart breaks. See, following Jesus is not a matter of us just kind of showing up on Sunday morning and doing religious stuff singing the songs, taking the offering. It's about you and me entering into the presence of a holy God, knowing that we are unholy, and hearing him say to me, you're forgiven, Greg. You're my child. In spite of your sin, welcome back. And when you hear God say that to you, David sees these couple of things that happen in his heart. Number one, your mouth, your tongue will be full of praise. Verse 15. You got to sing or you got to do something about it. And number two, you simply have to tell other people about him. 
Verse 13, I'm going to go out and tell other transgressors just like me that what I'm doing, they can do as well. Now, now of course, the person who does that, who's experienced forgiveness, has to be willing to forgive others. But that's a whole other sermon. Right now, David was so thrilled that he'd been forgiven that he says, I've got to go out and tell others about your ways and who you are. That's the way it always is. You see what's inside, how often it is, awful it is, that junk that is there. You bring it to the God who's always known about it, and he welcomes you back in and says, we're going to start all over again. I'll cleanse you. You become so thrilled that you can't keep it to yourself. So what should happen? On a morning like this, where many of us, in one sense, to some level, maybe all of us, have things inside we have to bring back to our Father. And we hear him say, I'll cleanse you and start anew. We should be so thrilled that when we go out of this place, we will look at others differently. Um, I'm praying that some of us will look at our colleagues who might be ruining their lives by drinking or by deceiving their ways to ruin. Do you know what that person needs? He needs forgiveness. He needs God who will forgive him. Or or perhaps look at that classmate at the university. You know that she's ruining her life through the moral choices she is making. What does she need? She needs cleansing. She needs to start again. She needs God. You know that. Look at that couple, maybe who's been showing up at church, whose marriage is about to snap because of anger. Or a friend who has foolishly gotten himself trapped in an addiction and just doesn't feel I can ever get out. They all need to hear God say, through faith in Christ, your sins I will remember no more. Our hearts cry out for forgiveness as human beings made in the image of God. You and I claim, if you're a Christian, that through faith in Jesus, we have found forgiveness through Christ. Let the forgiven go and tell a world that needs forgiveness that a holy God is ready to forgive. And that's why Jesus came. The one who has cried out for forgiveness and experienced it is the one who cares enough to look out at at a world and to say, listen, if I can start again and be cleansed and be made new, there is hope for anybody. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Really? then today I want us, for some of us, to re-experience that. If there is a sin in your life, will you just take time to make sure you confess it to God? Will you then bring it to him and ask him to cleanse you? Then on the basis of God's word, I want you to hear him say to you, if you confess your sins, I will be faithful and just, and I will forgive you your sins, and I will cleanse you from all that's not right. And experiencing that, may you go and declare to the world that the holy God who made you still loves you and is ready to start again with you 
and it will be to his glory. Amen. Amen. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, at the end of our service, open up our eyes to what's inside. If we've come with any of the same kinds of junk in our lives as David did, Father, we now have seen what we must do. We must own up to it, confess it to you, look again into your face of grace, forgiveness, and love. Father, as some of us do that today, may we hear you say, as far as east is from the west, that sin I will cast away. Father, today restore to each one of us the joy of our salvation.